Welcome to West Winds. This is a great place, and we hope that you are ready to receive all God intends for you today. Amen? Amen. This is a place where we believe that God's spirit and God's power can change your reality. We believe that your future is better than your present or your past. We believe that if your eyes are open and your heart is receptive, you'll be able to see and understand all that God is doing around you and all that God promises to do for you. And we're getting to the end of a series that we've been teaching on hope over the last couple of months. And I thought today it would be wise to anchor our teaching in the story of a biblical character who exemplifies hope-filled living. And so I thought about the patriarch, Abraham, who is the founder, the founding father, so to speak, of God's chosen people, the ancient Israelite people. Abraham is the central figure of the Old Testament. And early on, as a wandering Bedouin shepherd, God appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and says, get up from the land of your fathers and go to a land I will show you. Abraham doesn't know what that land is. He just knows he's supposed to follow God to get there. And later, we're told that the thing he's looking for is the city of God, a city that has been founded and designed by God himself. He is looking for the absolute most perfect place on earth. That's his hope. That's his belief. That's his faith. And he never finds it. He doesn't get what he's hoping for. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And this is the key verse. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When Abraham heard the voice of God to call and get up and go, he thought he was going to someplace idyllic, perfect, a place that was designed and built by God. Now, the only place like that that we know of is heaven. That's where everything is the way God wants it to be. That's where everything is perfectly harmonious, in balance, gorgeous, beautiful, well-designed, well-intended. I mean, that's where, that's where you want to be. So Abraham set out looking for heaven on earth and never, like he never got there. The thing that he hoped for, he didn't receive. So would we consider Abraham a failure? A disappointment? A person of no real faith that God did not honor? No, of course not. And it begs the question for you and I, what, what happens if we don't get what we hope for in the exact way we're hoping for it according to the, to the timeline that we hope it all comes to pass? I mean, what does that mean about us? Does that mean God's mad at us? That we suck? That we're useless? Well, here's the thing that's important. See, when Abraham went out hoping for heaven, he founded instead the family of God. That even though Abraham didn't get what he hoped for, God got what God hoped for in Abraham. Because God's not interested in building a really great city. The city of God is the people of God. God wants to build a really great people. You and I 
are part of the city of God. We're part of the people of God. You and I, we're told, are heirs to the promise of Abraham. We've been, like, grafted in to Abraham's family tree. This is what it means for us to be the people of God, is to recognize that, fundamentally, we're built on disappointment. Disappointment that actually turned out better than you could ever have possibly hoped. And and here we come to, I think, the most important part of our teaching on hope. And that's this written on the board here. That chasing your dreams changes your destiny. Like even if you don't get the thing you're hoping for, even if your dream doesn't come true, even if everything doesn't line up in the way that you wish and the time that you want, Go for it. Go for it. Swing for the fences. Go all out. Do absolutely everything God has put in you to do. Run faster. Train harder. Study. Show yourself approved. Go and go and go and go and never stop. Because even if you don't get what you want, that's how God gets what God wants in you. And you know this is true immediately, especially if you're a parent, because this is what we want for the people we love. I mean, if you're looking at your son or you're looking at your daughter, what do you want them to do? It's safe. Sit back. Never risk getting hurt. Never risk getting rejected. No. You want them to live with their hearts open. You want them to live desperately, passionately in love, following their star, believing that as they do, God honors and rewards the people they're becoming. If that's what we want as moms and dads, as coaches, as teachers, how much more does God want that for us? So you've got a dream in your heart. You've got something that puts a little fire in your belly. And there are a thousand forces aligned against you that say, don't, don't bother. It's not worth it. It's too big an investment. It's not that big a deal. It's not really that cool anyway. And all of those voices can pound sand. Because God says, I believe in you. That's why I put you here. And I want you to go for it. Now there's some fancy Bible talk that we might use to support our thinking here. In fact, there's a key theological concept known as the cultural mandate that we first find in the book of Genesis. The cultural mandate is this, go out and make things. It gets a little more complicated than that because God says to Adam and Eve, our spiritual parents, he says, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. You're supposed to have dominion over every living thing. Fill the earth and subdue it. And the Hebrew word for subdue means make everything useful and beneficial for human enjoyment. Repeat that with me. Make it useful and beneficial for human enjoyment. God put you here to do that. How's it going? You feel useful? You feel like you're benefiting the people around you? I don't mean that you should just benefit, you know, their health or their skin or whatever. I mean, they should enjoy being with us, being around you. I mean, that's the clear promise of God. That's right there in the Bible. Those words mean those things, that we have been placed here by God in God's well-ordered creation to make more of it. God gave you this whole world and said, what are you going to do with it? 
I've done my part. Now you get ready to do your part. I'll help, but now it's on you. Make it useful. Make it beneficial for human enjoyment. That means everything we got to do, we're trying to tinker and decide which way we want to go, how we want to flesh things out, which dreams we want to pursue, which people we want to invite into our lives. All this opportunity, all this momentum, all sponsored by the Spirit of God for the well-being of the people of God. That's, that's why you're here. And that's not the only time God says things like that. In fact, way later at the end of the Gospels, in all four Gospels, we get what's called the Great Commission, which is often sometimes called the, or often called the Gospel Mandate. And in Mark chapter 16, there's a funny wording to it where Jesus instructs his disciples to go out and preach the gospel to all creation. See, the other gospels say to all people, to all men, to all men and women, but Mark's gospel adds this funny little detail. It's the earliest and most reliable gospel we have. He says, preach the gospel to all creation, to every culture, to every society, to every relationship, to every act of trade, commerce, art, artistry, etc. Just, just... Make it useful and beneficial for human enjoyment. And this is the thing you and I have got to understand. Because God's put his thumbprint on you, because God has filled you with his spirit, because God has given you his word to guide you, to chasten and correct you, to bolster you, you have all the power you need to change your life. To change your life. That's why we have hope. Hope is the belief that things can be better, that things can be different with God's help for God's glory. And we know that the best way for our lives to change is to chase your dreams. Because when you start there, you chase your dreams, you change your destiny. You change it. You change everything about your life if you intend to just go for it. Now, the dad in me, the college professor in me, wants to make sure that you got a little, um, what's the word to it, uh, fatherly advice about how to do that best. I'll try and keep it brief. It's real, real simple. You can think of it in one of two ways. You either think about it um, in terms of your, your heart, your head, and your hands, or you think about it in terms of your dreams, your goals, and your plans. So you, you gotta, you got to follow your heart. That's pretty good advice. Some of the earliest advice we give, it's some of the earliest advice we dismiss. We think following your heart is for men who like poetry and tight pants. It's for little girls who play with dolls. No, the people of God follow their heart because the God of the universe lives there and is reforming us and perfecting us. So follow your heart. And once you get this sense of who you might become and what you might do and what you might enjoy. Well, now you're smart to use your brains a little bit and put some plans around that. Or pardon me, put some, put some goals to it, some smart goals, a way, some concrete stuff. There's information on that in your journal. I won't belabor it. It's just once you know what you want to do, figure out how exactly it's supposed to look. And then last but not least, make some plans. I'll tell you my absolute favorite time to make plans is during church. I plan what I'm going to do after church. Oftentimes, if Ben is preaching, I'll go, oh, you know what? He could have done it better this way. 
And then when Ben is doing, you can see Ben doing it right now. Exactly. He's taking notes. Um, it's, it's a preacher's curse. We all sit there and go, oh, I love how he said that. Next time I say it, I'm going to say it like this. That'll be even better. It's, it's what we do. It's why we watch ourselves on tape afterwards. So, so we hone our craft. We, we make plans for how we're going to get better, how we're going to get from point A to point B, how we're going to move our church forward, how we're going to move our families forward. We, we make plans. So that's it, man. You, you got a dream. Don't ever give up on that. You got to set goals or else your dreams are just fantasies. And then you got to make plans for achieving those goals or else your goals are useless and you'll just be despondent and despairing the whole rest of your life. And once you do all that stuff, guess what? You still might not get what you want. But the process of chasing your dreams changes your destiny. It changes you from who you are into the person God is calling you to become makes you sharper, stronger, more secure, more useful and beneficial for human enjoyment. It makes you happier, and it fills you with hope. Now, because we're talking about all this in a little bit of the abstract, I thought I'd try and bring it home and talk about my hopes for Westwinds, because I love this place. And we know that hope is comprised of desire and vision and agency. These are the essential ingredients of hopefulness. Desire, meaning you got to want something, want something good and godly. Vision, meaning you got to be able to imagine what it's like to have the good things you want and sort of live in that desirable future. And agency, meaning there's some stuff you can do to get from here to there. So how silly if I never practiced what I preached about the place where God has called me to serve. How silly if I never had hope for Westwinds. And so, of course I do, and you should probably know them. I hope first and foremost that you recognize when you come here, I'm not interested in making you a better Christian. I'm interested in making you a better minister. You are kings and priests. Now, in the literal definition of Christian, of course, that's exactly what I mean. In the cultural definition of Christian, you know, the hateful, judgmental, isolationist, you know, I don't want to make more of those. Those people should stop breeding but kings and priests, yeah, we want more of those. When you come here, I am looking at you every Sunday in every service as though you are a pastor in training. You are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And when you come here, I'm making you better. That's everything I got. That's what I hope for. And somewhere between my ambition and your ambition to make it through life, we got to meet and hope that God elevates us out of obscurity. Hope that God activates us instead of people who just sit around and talk about what's going wrong with the world to people who are willing to make a difference and stand up and do things that are right. That's my hope for Westwinds. We're filled with people who are elbows deep in our communities and our families. Dreaming dreams and working with God to heal the world. And I hope that you become critical thinkers, that you refuse to accept easy answers. I mean, there's a lot of sort of religious aphorisms and maxims out there. There's a lot of sayings out there that are kind of, you know, cutesy and trite, and some of them are pretty good, and some of them really aren't. I'm not interested in throwing them all out. I'm not interested in adopting them all. I'm not interested that you even do the same thing I do. I just want you to be good thinkers. I want you to be critical thinkers who can rightly divide truth from error. That's why here, we always publish our notes, usually in book form, or at least in blog form. We give you every scripture verse, we give you every theologian that we've referenced, so you could check our math. You can check our math. 
And you should. You should know what it's like to use the mind God gave you to make sure you're doing the things God is calling you to do. And along with that, we sure hope you don't become jerks because knowledge puffs up. So we hope that you become critical thinkers and we hope that you maintain a sweet spirit. We hope that you get a second innocence. That's what I hope for me. That's what I hope for you. Is that we, we, we don't just figure out what's wrong with the church. We don't just figure out what's wrong with Christianity in the world today. Instead, we go, yeah, there's some, there's some pockmarks, dude. But that's my family. I'm going to fight for it. Because I'm fighting for the father of us all. So that means I'm going to lock shoulders. I'm going to join hands. I'm going to swing for the fences. And that's my ultimate hope for the people of Westwinds, for you, for me, is that we'd be passionate. I mean, just full of verve and energy and fire that everywhere we go, we would live in the promises of God. We would see the opportunities that God has set out before us. And we'd say, no matter what, no matter how it all turns out, I'm going to go for it with these people because of God and God's great love for all people. And I think that's very liberating. Thomas Merton was my, one of my earliest influences. He was a Trappist monk from Kentucky, and he was, if you'll forgive the expression, the first man's man I ever read that made me think you could be spiritual without also needing to take dance lessons. And Merton said, don't depend on the hope of results. Because if things don't turn out the way you want, you'll despair and you'll give up, forgetting that there's a whole lot more time left on planet Earth than what you're looking at in the next two, six, eight months. Instead, focus on the rightness of what God has called you to do, on the truth of it and the worth of it, the conviction of it in and of itself. And then instead of being worried about all the outcomes, you'll realize that the people around you are being changed and transformed because they get to be close to somebody who's entirely sold out for God. A person living with passion and purpose, provocation and power. And if you chase your dreams, whether you get them or whether you don't, you change your destiny and you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Lord, we love, we love to be nourished by your word and by your spirit. I mean, you change us. You make us believe that impossible things are, are possible. You make us believe that unlikely things become probable because you're working around us and in us and through us, lifting us up bolstering on to greater acts of love and service. We want to be better lovers. We want to be better servers. We want to be better priests. So help us do these things for you and with you and through you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well.